0: You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org.
1: Y'all, I'm so excited to get to tell you a little bit about my dear friend, Reverend Andy, who we have here with us this morning. I I just hear whisperings, I don't know. (laughs) Um, So, Andy is an incredible human being. That's just over here, but on this side, she's done such incredible things as well. She's originally from Atlanta proper, and she graduated from Grady High School, which is now Midtown High, it's a whole other thing. She went to Oxford College, Emory College, and Candler School of Theology, so she just made her way around the Emory campus. She is an ordained elder in the UMC, has served churches in various roles in Atlanta, Rome, including Aragon, which is in fact my town. In case everyone didn't know about that, I have a town in Georgia called Aragon. Currently, she serves as the co-pastor of Neighborhood Church over in Candler Park. Andy loves all kinds of music, she loves gardening, a good savory scone, ooh, me too, and helping people and communities grow through creativity, courage, and cooperating with God. Friends, join me in welcoming my dear friend, Andy, as she takes over our pulpit today.
2: Good morning. If we haven't met yet, I'm Andy. It's a gift to be with you all this morning. Um, I don't know if I shared this with Karina, but like I grew up in Ormwood Park, so I grew up like literally down the road. If you know where Zestos is, I grew up two blocks from there. I um, lived there until I was 11. After I was married, we lived in, um, on May Avenue, just over this way. So this is a gift to be here with you all. I have prayed for your church for many years, and so thank you for this gift today. Friends, can we hear and listen and receive these words from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 14, and then 18 through 26? I don't know your custom, but would you stand as you're able as we listen and hear for these words? Friends and neighbors, beloved, listen. Listen. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church through these words. As Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people but sinners. While Jesus was speaking in front of them, a ruler came and knelt in front of him. Oops, sorry, I'm skipping that pit. Okay. And then verse 18. Yes. While Jesus was speaking to them, a ruler came and knelt in front of him saying, My daughter has just died, but come and place your hand on her and she'll live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Then a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his clothes. She thought, if I only touch his robe, I'll be healed. When Jesus turned and saw her, he said, be encouraged, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that time on. When Jesus went to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the distressed crowd. He said, go away, because the little girl isn't dead but sleeping. But they laughed at him. And after he had sent the crowd away, Jesus went in and touched her hand and the little girl rose up. News about this spread throughout that whole region. This is the word of God for us, the beloved people of God. Will you say thanks be to God? Be to God. Amen. Amen. Friends, will y'all pray with me this morning? Gracious giver of life, we give you thanks for this day, for this beautiful June day, God, where you are refreshing the world with rain. Oh God, pour out your spirit on us as we gather in this place. God, help us to listen. Help us to receive your words and spirit like a gift, like rain. God, I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me but what we all hear today is your message to us and what we all know deeply in the deepest parts of us is your love for us, but not just us, for the whole world. God, I pray and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is right here with us and all the people said, amen. Amen. So, have y'all ever heard of this thing called social media? (laughs) So, it's really fun, you can like post pictures and videos and your friends can see them and you can see their stuff and I'm sure that there's nothing problematic and it's all safe, totally. Okay, just kidding. Um, I'm guessing that most of us interact with social media pretty much every day in some capacity for work or to keep up with friends or public figures or, you know, to stalk that prospective partner or to keep up with that former partner. I'm not naming any names, I just hear that's a thing. (laughs) So I've been active on several platforms over the years, and I had a Facebook account in the early days when you had to have, like, a college or university email to, like, even get on the thing. And you know, I lurk on Twitter. I've lurked there for a while, and I recently you know tried to give Instagram a shot. Um, I don't have a TikTok, but I do receive curated selections from my friends. So, when you get into a whole brand new kind of um, social media thing or channel or whatever we call each of them, there's always like different rules, right? There are different ways that they work. So, you know, Facebook works differently from TikTok, which is different, of course, from Twitter and so on. You know, they all have these distinct frameworks for how you connect with other people. So, Facebook friends it's automatically a mutual connection, right? Like, you see their stuff, they see yours, if you're friends. But, you know, Twitter and Instagram or others are sort of unilateral. You, you follow an account, and then sometimes they follow you back, but not always. You know, like, I follow Taylor Swift, and she hasn't followed me back yet, but I'm not mad about it, okay? <laughs> so I mention all of this because in our Gospel reading for today that we just heard, there are several social interactions between Jesus and other folks. And these interactions connect Jesus with these people in ways that are significant and also scandalous. And if you have been to church for a little while, in church, listening, absorbing this whole church thing, then you often hear language of following Jesus, right? It's shorthand for becoming a disciple of Jesus, one who looks to practice the way of Jesus. We talk about becoming a follower of Jesus, learning from our rabbi, Jesus, because that's the language that the gospel writers use. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and I went to Sunday school and all that, and I often imagined those stories where Jesus is inviting people to follow him um, I mentioned those to be a little bit odd. I don't know how they show up in your mind. But Jesus says, follow me. And, and the fishermen in my mind kind of like, you know, they were fishing. And then they go, ding. And they like turn into zombies and they drop their nets. And they just, they just start following Jesus around, like literally, right? Just kind of like, you know, mindless kind of characters, just following Jesus around wherever he's going. But if we dig into the text, I don't think it's that way at all, actually, It's much more mutual and organic, this following life. Let's take a look at that. So in verse nine, it reads, uh, as Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. He said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. So here we have Matthew who is, Casp, a tax collector. You know tax collectors, right, they're not IRS agents, right, IRS agents have rules and regulations. In the first century, tax collectors for the Roman Empire were absolutely despised because they had little rules other than bring Caesar money. And so they functioned a little bit like independent contractors for the occupying imperial forces. They collected, ta- they collected taxes for Rome, yes, but then they often charged more than they were supposed to, and they collected the difference. They pocketed the difference for themselves. It was a lucrative job, but in the first century Palestine, it meant collaborating with the occupiers, literally working with them to extract wealth unjustly from their neighbors. So by choosing to be a tax collector, you were choosing to break relationship with your indigenous community. But here comes Jesus, who sees Matthew not on a break, he's sitting at the kiosk, he's collecting taxes, there's not any confusion as to who he is and what his job is, right? And Jesus says, follow me. And I like to hear in these words, you know, a little bit more follow me. It doesn't have to be this way. You can choose a different way of making a living, a way that doesn't involve exploiting your neighbors on behalf of the empire. Free people don't have to choose this kind of work. I imagine Jesus saying all those things with his eyes, right? (laughs) But the words that are recorded are just, follow me. At least I think Jesus is the one who says these words. I think... (laughs) He's the one who says, follow me. If you sit with this sentence, it's delightfully uncertain. Even in the original Greek, which he is who? Did Jesus say, follow me, or did Matthew? Did Jesus send Matthew a follow request, or did Matthew send it to Jesus, or or was the following mutual? Did they somehow begin in that moment to follow each other? Because here's the next sentence. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. So wait, the action shifts so quickly from Jesus, to Jesus sitting down to eat in Matthew's house. So maybe Jesus said, follow me, and Matthew invited him over. Or maybe simply Matthew saw Jesus and knew who he was And he knew he had some friends who wanted to meet him. So maybe it was Matthew who said, follow me, Jesus. And he led Jesus to a dinner party. (laughs) I love the ambiguity here. Relationships, when they have life, are, of course, mutual and consensual and involve a back and forth. And that's what we see here. I love the image that unfolds from this text. Jesus and Matthew get connected, and immediately we see Jesus sitting down to a dinner with many tax collectors and sinners. Jesus invites Matthew to be a follower, and Matthew invites Jesus to a dinner, and also invites all his sinning tax-collecting friends. On one level, it's entertaining (laughs) to me to think of this as Matthew letting Jesus crash, you know, like the weekly meeting of the tax collector club or something like that. (laughs) But the more I sit with it, the more that I'm recognizing that maybe the tax collectors did feel cut off from their wider community because of their chosen profession. And maybe they had found some kind of community together a sort of community of necessity because they were shunned by their families or their former friends or the religious folks. It helps me to have compassion for them, to humanize them, even as I struggle with their choices. But Matthew invites Jesus into this community to get to know even more tax collectors and some other people labeled as sinners In the text, it's just a label. There's no background information. It's just what people call them like it's their name. And some religious leaders see this unfolding and they begin to criticize Jesus. Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? It is in fact scandalous for a Jewish rabbi to be seen breaking purity laws and eating with those who are labeled as sinners as the breakers of holy law. And maybe what's worse, the tax collectors, those guys, Jesus is eating with them, there is both social and ritual risk to Jesus by eating with these folks. But Jesus says this thing that I can't get out of my head. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. It goes round and round for me because it pokes at the core of what it means to practice a faith and a trust in a God who is love, a God who is embodied in Jesus and a God who inhabits our bodies even now and moves among our collective body even today. Jesus says these words Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting the prophet Hosea who says, with God's words, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus, I'm trying to learn what this means, and, and here's where I'm landing in this moment, that loving God with all that I am, with my heart and soul and mind and body, and loving my neighbor, is a practice of Compassion of listening and talking and mingling and hanging out with all the beloved creations of the Most High and trying to uncover the mystery of why the eternal heart of God made these unique beings that I encounter. I try to spend my time and energy and life exploring the divine spark, the imago dei in each person and wondering how it is that God is inviting this person to become fully human. I'm trying to practice gentle, patient, loving understanding of my neighbors, holding grief and pain alongside laughter and joy, I am trying to practice mercy, grace, forgiveness, not holding too tightly to missteps or wrongs or broken rules, because that is how I hope God is holding me, with grace and love and patience in the light that draws me out into my fullest self. It seems like the core of a living trust in God is much more about this than being concerned with sacrifice, with the ritual processes of giving up that which is valued and treasured in order to restore a broken relationship. Now, if your religious practice involves you constantly being concerned with the right way to be and to live and paying a price when the right thing is not done, If your faith is concerned with how pure you are or even better, how pure the people around you are and what it looks like when you are near them, what other people are thinking, then something is out of sync with the way that Jesus is inviting us to follow him. Because what does that kind of anxiety about purity say about God? Is God concerned with how pure you are? Is God bothered by your mistakes? I would suggest that God is not damaged by your mistakes and imperfections and that our faith is more about recognizing the mysterious and mischievous presence of the living God at work in our lives and in our world. It's more about that than making spiritual payments to be whole again. Because God is radiant, living love. And God's holy power is not threatened by human impurity, real or perceived. Now, you can tell me that this resource that I'm about to name is problematic. Um, I would love to know that later, frankly, really honestly. Um, But I have appreciated some of the videos that are distributed by The Bible Project. So there was one video that I came across about the concept of holiness that really helped me to unpack that concept. So in this video, they discuss how much of the Old Testament law sees purity. As, well, the lack of purity is a kind of stain or contamination or pollution. Sin is a problem because it gets you unclean. It sticks to you. So you want to maintain a ritually clean state so that you can be holy and be in right relationship with the God who is holy. And a portion of the law of Moses functions to remind God's people how to achieve and maintain this ritual purity. And if you break the purity code, it's fixable. Don't worry about it so much, but it takes work and time to restore you to purity, and in that time, you can't rightly worship God. So when Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors or in the later verses when he touches a woman who is bleeding or the dead body of a girl, Jesus is breaking this ritual purity code. He becomes ritually unclean in the eyes of the law and the religious law enforcers. But here is the deal that the Bible Project helped me to see that God's holiness is not threatened by human impurity. Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus radiates with God's holiness. And this power is not threatened by impurity. In fact, it has the opposite effect. The presence of God in Jesus can make people and situations clean. So rather than Jesus being made ritually impure because of his interactions, with a touch, with a gesture, with a word, Jesus can make things whole and healthy again. God's light illumines the darkness. God's power is not diminished by human mistakes. God's holiness is not in question. And so we don't have to be concerned with sacrifice in order to maintain our purity. We can embody and incarnate God's holy power in our lives and in our communities through a practice of mercy. We can reach out and eat with our neighbors and touch the sick and the hurting. We can work with God to bring the dead to life without worrying about our own condition. In fact, our spiritual condition is made more alive and radiant when we cooperate with God in these ways. Y'all, there are a lot of people in this world concerned with purity. And I try to have compassion for this way of thinking, right? If you have been taught that you must be holy as God is holy, and that you can live, you have to live in narrowly defined ways in order to be holy, then I can understand their concern. But when politicians today describe an awareness and engagement in history, power dynamics, and culture as being a woke mind virus, then we have entered into language that equates a way of thinking as a kind of impurity, a contagion. There are a lot of folks concerned about the purity of culture, of family, and religious institutions, and you know, funny story, this concern is often connected to the preservation of white supremacist power. Y'all, coming out as a trans person and serving as a pastor in the past couple of years has been an interesting experience. And as I have found myself a literal talking point in presentations made by people looking to preserve the purity of the church. Y'all, queer people of all varieties are under attack these days, if you haven't noticed. And the language thrown around about us is often connected, at least on the surface, to a kind of social purity. We can't have these folks in our churches. We don't want to be led by them. We might become like them. It's like the strange but logical conclusion of the old church saying, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, and don't go with them that do. (laughs) The way to maintain the purity of one's life. Is this new to y'all? Surely not. Oh, my Lord, come with me. Just a short drive down the road. Okay. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) The way to maintain the purity of one's life And therefore, the purity of one's community is to break away and cut off relationship with the seemingly impure people. Well, you might like them, but sacrificing the relationship is the only way that you can be holy. But, y'all, here is the very best part of all of this God is not threatened by the human condition. In fact, some of these things that others label as impure is a facet of our creation, our creation by God. And even the things that are part of our human choices are not a danger to God and to God's radiant holiness. God's presence can make us whole and holy. And the witness of the church is that God shares God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit And so the power of God is within and among us. We we are not threatened by difference or queerness or diversity or variety in all of its forms because these things are how we are made by God. And none of us are perfect. None of us. We make mistakes and we break relationship or life happens to us and we are hurt by grief or loss, or illness, or the cruelty of the world. And God's presence among us can make these situations whole too. God shares God's power with us, and we can change, grow, be healed, transform, change from brokenness into our whole and holy human selves. Okay, y'all, so I served churches uh, that were mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, in, in Northwest Georgia, they call it Ergon. That's how you say it, yeah. Um, I, I uh, mentioned that there was a region of Spain called Aragon, and they were like, what? So just, they just didn't know about that. That's okay, bless them. Um, so in Northwest Georgia, in the churches that I served, um, there was functionally a sort of two, at least two types of people in the world, right? There were the church people, and then there were the not church people. And I would talk about reaching out to our neighbors, getting to know some of the people in our very small town. Like, I think the town had 1,100 people in it. Um, It was a fascinating place to live, being that I am from here, right? Um, And I was told, when I was kind of starting to really kind of try to work the leadership of the church, let's get out there and let's meet some of these folks. And they said, well, preacher, we want you to know something. There there are good people. There are the people that we want to meet. And most of those folks go to church already. (laughs) And then there are the other people. And none of them would want to come to our church. And I wondered about that. And I started to hang out at our church's food pantry, where hundreds of folks would come to receive food over the course of a month. And I just sort of met people, and I would help them take their groceries to their car, and I listened to their stories. And, you know, sometimes people would, um, would joke after they came into the church. Like, the, the food pantry was in the sanctuary. We had a section where there weren't chairs in the back, and that's sort of where we um, did all the food distribution. So they would come into the back of the church, and sometimes they would kind of look around like this, and then they would say, oh, well, I didn't catch on fire. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or they'd say something like, well, lightning didn't strike me this time. <laughs> um, and while this... <laughs> While it was funny, right, it was a joke and they were being comedic, it also pointed to the pain that they held. They felt that God didn't love them and couldn't love them as they were, that God didn't want them in a holy space and that God would in fact respond with violence if they drew too close. And sure, they were imperfect, but mostly what was true about them is that they were poor caught in generational poverty, ignored by government assistance programs, and faith communities, frankly. And I began to wonder if there was any place in a church for someone whose life was bleeding away, who was labeled as a sinner, who was breathing but whose heart felt dead inside. In other words, was there any place in the church for bad people? Was the church only for good folks? And then I remember. Jesus says, I have come not for the healthy, but for the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Y'all, if we are Jesus followers, if that is our commitment, Jesus is also following us around with us, guiding us, whispering in our ears, empowering us, and we share his power to reach out and to touch the sick and to make things whole. We have the power to bring the dead to life. We can eat with sinners and gasp even the tax collectors. We can bring liberation and restoration to our communities It is not our purity, our power, or our holiness, but the power and holiness and radiant love of God working among us and inside of us that does this. And it is up to us to practice applied mercy to ourselves and with our neighbors so that we can build the beloved community restored and free. Mercy and not sacrifice. May it be so, friends. May it be so.
0: Thank you, Andy, that was everything. Yeah. Good morning, friends, my name is Troy. I am uh, the worship arts director here. Um, It's my honor to lead our prayers of the people this morning. Um, I was so excited this week because I haven't had the chance to do this since like last July and I was like, oh, I get to pray, it's gonna be so great. And this whole week I was drawing like nothing. I was like, what am I gonna lift up in front of our community? And it was like, nothing. And I was like, well, maybe I'm just like out of practice. Maybe I just need to like pray some more and like, you know, uh, you know, get the rust off. And so I've, I would sit down this week and it was like nothing, just nothing. And I was feeling really anxious about it, to be honest. And even this morning I woke up and I was like, I'm not even worried about all the other things that are happening. I'm like, what am I gonna say when I start praying? And I thought, well, I grew up evangelical. Maybe when I start talking, it'll just like, it'll just start coming. Um, and then in just a few moments ago during worship, it, it hit like an epiphany. When Andy got up and she started to read the scripture. She said, listen, listen. And I remember the words that a, a good friend said to me a few years ago when we were talking about prayer. And he said, often when we talk about prayer, we talk about it as if we're, you know, pleading God to do something or like begging God to do something. Um, but when Jesus taught us to pray, it was about us. And it was about us being formed. He taught his disciples to pray in a way that we would be shaped. And so I'm gonna shut up and listen this morning. Uh, and here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna sort of go out on a limb here. And so I, I need you. Um, at our last band meeting we had a few months ago, we did this sort of practice where I I asked folks to, we were just we sat in silence and then I asked them to lift up one word that they would pray over this community. And we just sat with those words. And it was, it was, to be honest, the most filling time of prayer I've had in a long time. So in a few moments, I'm gonna share some of the words that we shared back then. And then I'm gonna shut up and I invite you, just as you feel led, lift up a word. Um, and maybe I'll repeat it so everyone can hear it. Um, so friends, would you join me uh, as we come in silence and reverence uh, before the Almighty? The words of of hope and life that were shared um, by our our band a few months ago were, were hope, leaven, participation, love, sustenance, healing, mystery, and authenticity. Action Neighborhood Neighborhood Passion. Passion Curiosity Curiosity Hospitality Hospitality Say it again. Guidance. Guidance, yes. Unconditional. Unconditional. Helpful. I looked at peace, trust, brokenness, hmm. brokenness, happiness. Lord, hear these words that we pray over this church. Let them not only rise up to you, but rise deep into us and shape us into not only the people as individuals, but the community that we ought to be for you, for East Atlanta, for the village. Lord, forgive us when we have not been the people that we ought to be. Uh, Forgive this church when we have not been the church that we ought to be. Forgive your church abroad when we have closed the doors. Friends, I now invite you into a time of silent confession uh, as we, we, we think back on this week. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us when we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Friends, I now invite you to pass the peace with one another online or in the room. Peace be with you.
2: Friends and neighbors, with eyes wide open and heads held high, I wish to send you out with a benediction, a good word, a blessing. First, um, I believe that next Sunday you will be hearing from my co-pastor, Angie Woodworth. We happen to know each other a little. It's going to be great, so come back next week. She'll be fine. She'll be great. She'll be wonderful. Um, And I also commend to you, I'm not supposed to say this probably, but I commend to you, Reverend Elaine, who will come just in a few short weeks. I know her. I love her. I trust her. Um, She may not be what anybody expects, but she is a person of deep faith and wisdom. um, and, And I think she will be very helpful and good and help to find some hope for all of us, right? So I commend to you, Reverend Elaine. You're gonna love her, okay? Those blessing words aside, friends and neighbors outside of these doors and frankly, probably inside are some folks that need to know about God's love, that need to know about God's hope, of God's care, of God's blessing for all of us. They're wandering through a world, we're wandering through a world wondering how we make sense of any of this. And friends, the only thing I know is that we make sense of it together. We make sense of it because God is with us and we are not alone. So look around y'all, we're not alone. And there's a great big crowd of folks beyond the folks in this room that also journey with us. And we're not alone because we walk through God's world, the one that made those flowers outside and the mechanism that rains and rainbows and lightning bugs and lightning. God is a God of beauty and grace and mystery and so God is with us. And the Holy Spirit is with us and Jesus Christ himself is with us as we journey together. So friends and neighbors, go from this place knowing that you are loved that you are not alone, that we travel together through God's world and with that knowledge wrapped around you, go from this place, go in peace, go in love, and on a June day like today, go in joy. Amen and amen.
0: That you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon if you'd like to experience our full church services you can find them at youtube.com eastsidechurchatl and if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at eastside you can find our giving portal at our website eastsideatl.org
1: be well